If you join me in Bible study this morning, we're in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5. You may say, I thought they were in Exodus chapter 20. Well, they're there too. Why would Moses repeat the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5? Ah, it's a second generation. They're about to enter the land. Moses can't go with them. So who in the past, when the people broke God's commandments and plagues broke out, would throw themselves in the midst and plead for the people? Moses. Moses, and he can't go with them into the land. So he's worried that, well, they sit there and go, yeah, yeah, we'll be perfect and sinless. He knows they won't either. And that sin before God can bring on disaster in a hurry. So he is reiterating in strong language that God means what God means when he says, what did he say? He said, but showing mercy to thousands of generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. He said that in Exodus 20 verse 6. He said it in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. And you can see the notes go on for two pages. Why does he keep telling us that over and over again? Does he really think there come a time when we would think the commandments weren't important anymore? Yeah, perhaps he foresees it all. But we are in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 16. Which says, honor your father and your mother. As the Lord your God has commanded you. That your days may be long. And that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. This commandment is often only partially understood. A lot of people think that it just means I have to obey my parents when I'm young. So I got to eat the Brussels sprouts mama cooks. But it's much more than that. Let us begin with Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, it opens up a whole new aspect to this commandment that a lot of people have never seen. Matthew chapter 15, verse 4. Matthew chapter 15, verse 4. The Lord is rebuking the scribes and Pharisees who are complaining because Messiah's disciples are not keeping the man-made rules and regulations of the Pharisees. He says, but you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me as a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So this is not talking about obedience as a child. This is talking about supporting your parents in their old age. The thought being that when we were children, unable to support ourselves, who provided for us? Our parents. So when they get old and can't support themselves, we have an obligation to support them. And then in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. 
Now behold, one came and said to him, him being Messiah, Good teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Well, didn't we just read in, Math, in Deuteronomy chapter 5? That honoring your mother and father has to do with long life. So verse 18, he said to him, which ones? Yeshua said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he doesn't recite all of the commandments, just some of the very core ones, some of those that are most important. One of which is, Honor your father and your mother. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 13. It's another variation of the story we looked at in Matthew chapter 15. It includes the same dispute between Messiah and the scribes and Pharisees. And in verse 6, he answered and said to them, that is, Messiah answered and said to the scribes and Pharisees, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it's written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For, the for means, I'm going to give you an illustration. I'm going to give you an example. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. That is in, to support them in any way. They relieve them of that opportunity. Say, just let the old folks die as so long as the proceeds come into my pockets. Is that what God said? It is not. Verse 12. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down, and many such things you do. So how does the Lord look at it when man says, forget God's commandment, do this instead, and it will be just as good? He calls them a bunch of hypocrites. Much as I would like to take a commandment and say, Thou shalt not steal and replace it with thou shalt not eat broccoli. I'm still going to have to eat my broccoli because you just can't substitute one commandment of man for a commandment of God. It doesn't work that way. Let's go to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 verse 20. Another recitation of the man that came to Messiah and said, What shall I do to have eternal life? 
In verse 20 it says, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include this same recitation. And the fact that honoring the father and the mother is very important to the Lord. So from there, let's go to Romans chapter 1 verse 30. So far in the scripture, we've only seen one aspect, and that is to support our parents when they get old and unable to support themselves. Romans chapter 1. We'll start in verse 28 so we do a complete and full sentence. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So do you understand that those things that follow are bad things? How many of you have a list of bad things? Make sure this is on your list. Being filled with all unrighteousness. What's another term for unrighteousness? Lawlessness. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, their whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, and what? Disobedient to parents. That's the other side of honor your father and your mother. Be obedient and also be respectful and honor them in their trailing years. Verse 31 goes on to say, Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgments of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them. So what is the consequence of not being obedient to our parents? Deserving a death. Maybe I should have read this a little more closely in my teenage years. But I'm probably not alone there, am I? Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul wants to remind us that in the commandments, this is the first commandment with a promise. So Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Why does he add in the Lord? If you're telling you to do something contrary to the commandments of God, then you must obey God over parents, just like it says, obey God over the government. Yeah. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And then he reiterates the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So there are opportunities and obligations and responsibilities on both sides. 
The children must be obedient and honor their parents, but the parents must teach the children right. Yes, ma'am. When it says that you might live long on the earth, is that talking about um, your physical life and then the life in the kingdom? Right, both. Mm -hmm. Because the word life in Hebrew, what do you know about it? It's plural. Yeah. Because yeah. we have life in this world and in the world to come. Very good. Good observation. Colossians chapter 3. If Paul was teaching people to break commandments, which you know he wasn't. Exactly. Why is he trying to tell people this is a commandment with a promise attached to it? Why is he trying to tell people this is a commandment with a promise attached to it? Because if the commandment was gone, so would be the promise. Exactly. He would be just flapping his lips to hear himself talk. <laughs> did you ever know Paul to do that? No. Nor did I. Colossians chapter 3 verse 20. Yeah, I agree with you. Paul is not talking on both sides of his mouth. He's telling people, don't think of the commandments as a way to earn salvation because that's not possible. Get saved first and then be obedient. You know, and it's just like what he talks about in 1 Corinthians. Once you get saved, how do you build on that foundation? 1 Corinthians 3, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Messiah Yeshua. But then what do you build on it? Exactly. And... Before you got saved, what were all your works worth? Nothing. But now once you get saved, we should walk uprightly. And Colossians 3.20. I just want you to see, this is Paul teaching another group, but teaching the very same thing. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So again, the obligations, responsibilities are on both sides. So children, are you listening out there? Be obedient to your parents. Parents, treat your children with respect and teach them right. Raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The last verse on this topic is 2 Timothy chapter 3. And people immediately think of verses 16 and 17, but nope, that's not it. There's more to it than that. 2 Timothy chapter 3 will be in verse 2. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. We'll start in verse 1 for context. The context is the last days. Are we in the last days? Are we coming really close to the day of the Lord? But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. What does perilous mean? Dangerous. How can times be dangerous? Is there a lot of sin out there in the world? A lot of people trying to lead you away from God? More every day. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Do you realize what your children are being taught in schools? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure you don't. But a, a lot of teachers do. They teach the kids, you don't have to obey your parents. You know? What does the scripture say? Obey your 
Obey your parents. Okay. So let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. The next commandment is very, very short. You shall not murder. Do any of you have Bibles that say thou shalt not kill? Because that's not right. It's not at all the same thing. Every time you see people um, protesting outside of a prison, thou shalt not kill, therefore abolish the death sentence. Have not read the scriptures. Last night we read about Phineas. Phineas, and what did he do with the spear? He, he ran it through two people. Ran it through two people. And that proved his righteousness. What's the difference between kill and murder? There are two different words in Hebrew. Kill is the verb harag, and murder is ratzach. It's not even close. To murder is to take an innocent life. What did God say if somebody commits murder? The only thing one, the, the, the village or, or the country itself can do is what? Put them to death. Nothing short of that will keep the land from being polluted. I remember as a child, very clearly, the Sunday school lesson, Thou Shalt Not Kill, showed a little boy with a slingshot and a bird sitting up in a tree. Thou shalt not kill. That is nothing, nothing in relation to the commandment. Thou shalt not murder. Let's take a look at this. We'll start in Genesis 4. I mean, that's not a good idea to kill an innocent bird. But not <laughs> I didn't say it was a good idea to kill innocent birds, just that it's not murder. Right. It's not what the commandment is about. What was one of the first sins we see in the Bible? The first one, of course, was to obey Satan over God. But on the heels of that comes Genesis chapter 4. Let's start in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again. What did she not do a second time? She didn't conceive a second time, so Cain and Abel are twins. The significance of that is they would have grown up at the same time together, with the same teachings, the same understandings, the same opportunities. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. Had God shown mankind what an offering was and what was required? When he made the clothes for Adam and Eve, did he make them out of, oh, let's say, fig leaves? They did, but that wasn't acceptable, was it? God took away that which was made by their hand and replaced it with the lamb skin from where he had sacrificed the lamb. So Abel understood the lesson that if you're going to bring an offering to God, it's from the sheep and the goats. It says, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. What did Cain's offering represent? The work of his own hands. What did Abel's offering represent? The shedding of innocent blood in place of the guilty. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? 
And why is your countenance fallen? Is that because the Lord didn't know? No, he wants Cain to look inside. If you do well, will you not be accepted? So which one did well? The one who brought the blood offering or the one who brought the vegetables? The blood offering. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And his desire is for you, but you should rule over it. The mere fact that he says sin lies at the door. What is sin? Sin is lawlessness. It's breaking the commandments of God, which tells us that when God was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden, were they talking about the weather? Or were they talking about the commandments of God? Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, that's kind of a snarky response when you're talking to God who knows all things. And he, that is the Lord, said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You can't lie to the Lord. It doesn't work. He gets found out. So, so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you, which means... The crops are not going to produce bountifully like they did before. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. But you know what? Punishment isn't the right word. The Hebrew word is avon. It means my sin, my iniquity is greater than I can bear. It's not the punishment, it's the sin. Surely you've driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. The next time we see murder discussed is in Exodus 20, verse 13. Oh, we may as well go ahead and look at it. It's going to say the same thing as Deuteronomy, right? Exodus 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. That's a negative commandment, right? A negative commandment can be temporary or permanent. Which one is this? This is permanent. Lo, thou shalt not ever. Then to Numbers 35. Numbers 35. Numbers 35. Starting in verse 15. In Numbers 35, starting in verse 15, we learn the difference between an accidental killing and murder and how they're treated differently by the Lord. So verse 15 says, These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger, that is the non-Jew who's been grafted in, 
And for the sojourner, that's one who's just passing through the land. They're not a permanent resident. Among them, that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. So you can't strike somebody with a sledgehammer in the head and say, whoops, that was an accident. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. When the murderer is put to death, is that murder? No, that's a justified killing. Verse 18, if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, just write in the margin, how about a baseball bat? And he does die, he's a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood, which is the same as the kinsman redeemer, himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. So if, if I have committed first-degree, cold-blooded, premeditated murder, the relative of the one I murdered has the right in the eyes of God to take my life. That's not murder on his part. That in God's eyes is justice. And then we go back to, well, there's other ways people get killed. If he pushes him out of hatred. So if you're standing on the edge of a cliff and I run up behind you and shove you off because I hate you, that's not an oopsie. That's murder. Or while lying in wait, hurl something at him so that he dies. So if I'm hiding behind a rock beside the road and as you go by, I throw a big stone and hit you in the head and kill you. That's murder. Or if in enmity, enmity means hatred. He strikes him with his hands so that he dies. The one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He's a murderer. So if we get into a fist fight over a sandwich, make sure that you don't hit him so hard you kill him, okay? Because if you do, God says that's murder. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets them. Not yet. Not yet. But the Bible does address that. And even, what if you're asleep in your home and somebody breaks in and you kill them? God says, that's on them. Yeah. So self-defense is not only acceptable, but it can be required. Yeah. If somebody attacks me, I may choose not to defend myself. But if he attacks me and my wife, mm -hmm. I have an obligation now to step in and protect my wife. So we just have to keep reading. Verse 22, however, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity. So you and I are walking along the edge of a cliff and I stumble on a stone and push you as I'm trying to keep from falling, oh well, <laughs> that's not murder. But I do have to go to the city of refuge. Or throws anything at him without lying in wait. Or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies. So this is the example of I'm out hunting and I throw a rock or shoot an arrow at an ibex, 
and I don't realize you're walking through the woods and you walk in the path of the stone or the arrow, that's not murder. That was unintentional. It says, while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm. There's a caveat. Now, if I want to kill you and you happen to step between the arrow and my ibex, I can't go, well, gee, that was just your bad luck. Okay? Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. How does the law of the kinsman redeemer relate to judgment day? I will think about it, but so far I'm not seeing the correlation. But I will continue to think about it. So verse 24, Then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. What that means is, if I kill somebody and I think it's an accident, I must run to the city of refuge where they hold a trial. The trial is to determine, did I qualify as a murderer or was this truly accidental? And if the trial determines that it was truly an accident, I must stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. At the death of the high priest, I can go free. And the, the manslayer, the kinsman, no longer has the right to take my life. But if I leave the city of refuge before, then my life is in my own hands. So verse 25, let's read a little more. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood. And the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled. He shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with holy oil. The thought is, if the high priest had been doing his job properly, then accidental killing should not occur. Verse 26, but if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of murder. Because he should have remained in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Wait. Yes, sir? Um, on that point of the death of the high priest, yeah. I've I've wondered whether it says earlier on when it's talking about uh, putting the the uh, Levites in place that uh, they've been set apart because they will bear the iniquity of the people. So that so that, and I've wondered if in some sort of substitutionary way those things which have not been covered they are wiped off once the high priest dies. Right, it's a picture of Messiah's death who is our high priest taking away our sins. So, is that, would you think that's a relevant way to think about it? Yes, I do. Because in fact, guilt, that blood that has not been dealt with devolves upon the priest. Because it seems to imply that earlier on. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I would look at it just that way. Cassandra's got a question out there. Let's see. If we go back to Genesis chapter 4. Let's see. Genesis chapter 4. 
Verse 8. The verb in Genesis chapter 4 is harag. It does not say that Cain murdered Abel, just that he killed Abel. Oops, I hadn't finished here in Numbers. Okay, go back to Numbers where we were. Numbers 35. Which is why God puts his seal on Cain and doesn't let an avenger of blood take vengeance upon him. Okay, verse 29. Numbers 25, Numbers 35, 29. Just to finish this thought. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings, which means it's forever. Whoever kills a person, that is, murders a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses, but one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. So God says you cannot substitute a fine or any other kind of a penalty for the act of a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. And no nation in the world, including Israel, follows that forever commandment today. You're correct. But that's not the only commandment they don't follow. Okay. But it's just an example. To Deuteronomy 21. Yes, sir. Kind of. Practically be worked out for the, for the person. A city of refuge would be a big walled city. Right. And you're free to do anything you want inside this city. Okay. You can have a house, you can have a business, you can do whatever you want to do, you just can't leave. Yep. So yeah, it's kind of like house arrest mm -hmm. in a really big house. <laughs> I told you that girl, she started crying. I think maybe they don't mean the mic to be open. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Mr. Wayne. Yes, ma'am. So I'm confused. Did, did Cain murder Abel? No. Or did he kill him? Cain killed Abel. He did not murder him. The verb is very distinct. He didn't, he didn't purposely set out to murder his brother in anger. Exactly how it happened, notice the Bible doesn't tell us. It simply tells us that he killed him, he did not murder him. And my other question, you made the comment about the priest. Yes. I'm so sorry. You made the comment about the that there would not have been any death if the priest had been doing his job. Yeah. So basically, the actions of his people were on his shoulders? Oh, yes, to a great extent. So long as the high priest is doing his duty and bringing the sacrifices and teaching people to keep the commandments of God, there's an awful lot of things that would never happen in Israel. But of course, what does the scripture tell us about the priesthood? They grew corrupt. 
They started teaching the scriptures for money. Commandments of men. And teaching commandments of men, etc., etc. Yeah. So Deuteronomy 21, starting in verse 1. We read that for a murder trial to lead to a conviction and death sentence, there had to be two or more witnesses. What if you're walking through the land and you see somebody slain, just laying in the ground? You don't know who did it. That's Deuteronomy 21. If anyone is found slain, lying in the field in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it's not known who killed him. So if it's not known who killed him, you don't know the circumstances under which he died. So what do you do? It says, then your elders and your judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. Whichever city is closest to the slain man, they're the one that is going to bear the responsibility for what it says next. Verse 3, and it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer which has not been worked and which has not pulled with the yoke. The elders of that city shall bring the heifer down to a valley with flowing water, which is neither plowed nor sown, and they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. Then the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord. By their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. See, if you've observed the killing, you must be a witness. You must tell what happened. So they're taking an oath on the name of God that we did not do it, nor did we see it. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people Israel. And atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood. So you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. So that's what you do when you find a dead body and nobody knows what happened. You bring the priests and Levites down to the, the river, the flowing water. You bring the heifer, you kill the heifer, and they make atonement for the land. Death of a human being is a bad thing in the eyes of God. Let's look at Psalm 94. It's really against his will. Yes, it's against his will. So people go, well, it's my body. I can commit suicide if I want to. The answer is no. God loaned you this body and he paid for it with Messiah's blood. You do not commit suicide. Psalm 94, verses 1 to 7. O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs... O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. 
All the workers of iniquity, meaning lawlessness, boast to themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. So the lawless people commit such heinous crimes thinking that God does not see it, that God does not care. God cares about the death of every person. Everyone. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 1. How did God feel when the children of Israel would go up to the Temple Mount to offer him a lamb and sacrifice one of their children to Moloch on the way up? Does the Bible tell us? In no uncertain terms. How the faithful city has become a harlot. Talking about Jerusalem. It was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it. But now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Brother yes, ma'am? What was that verse, Isaiah 1, 1? Chapter 1, verse 21. Thank you. And we went through 23. If you understand verse 23, it's some very sad times in our history. A person would cast their eyes on a widow's land and say, I want that land. So they would come to the courts and say, I saw that widow commit the following crimes and sins. And have the court put the widow to death, having taken bribes from the other landowner. And then the other landowner would take the land. So they're lying and bribing the judges to have widows put to death so they can take their land. How do you think God likes that? Not at all. So verse 25 says, I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross. How does dross get taken away from silver? You put it through the fire seven times. If that reminds you of Zechariah chapter 13, it should. Go to Jeremiah chapter 4. When that landowner had that widow put to death so he could seek her land, was that a killing or was that a murder? murder. That's murder, you betcha. That's why God says the land is polluted. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 31. For I have heard a voice as of a woman in labor. What's this verse going to be about? About the tribulation period. The anguish as of her who brings forth her first child. 
The voice of the daughter of Zion bewailing herself. She spreads her hands saying, Woe is me now, for my soul is weary because of murderers. What does Revelation 16 say? They failed to repent of their murders. Mm. Jeremiah 7, 9. Jeremiah 7, 9. Jeremiah is preaching to the city of Jerusalem and its inhabitants. And in verse 9 he says, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We're delivered to do all these abominations. Meaning, hey, we came up to the temple, we gave you a lamb, therefore we get to commit all these offenses, and you don't get to say anything about it, God. It's the same thing as saying we're under grace and not law. Yep, the very same thing. Now the Messiah has been crucified, buried, and resurrected, God now likes it when we sin. No, he doesn't. That's the Nicolaitan doctrine. How does Messiah describe that in Revelation 2? He says, I hate it. It's interesting, I'm sorry, that the angel of the Lord could kill 80,000 or whatever people in a night, but God never kills a murderer or kills a, an adulterer or kills all these people that have done things that God says the death penalty applies for. It's, it's like, okay, I mean, what most people think is, okay, God's a spirit, he can't hurt me. Oh, The fact is, he doesn't. That's true, because Judgment Day is coming. We've had 60 million abortions. Not one of those persons was put to death by God for their murder. But what happens when they stand before the Lord on Judgment Day? That's a long time away. (laughs) (laughs) I know. And in Isaiah, God even says, hey, maybe it's partially my fault because I didn't bring judgment sooner. And you thought it was okay. But it's not okay. Yeah. He's given everybody as many opportunities as possible, but but then the next verse says, but. Yeah, the next verse begins with but. Judgment day comes. Yeah. Also, he's given us the responsibility to carry out these commands. He has. But, with the exception of the avenger of blood, Stonings and things like that are carried out after a trial and a judgment by a court. Sometimes people have the idea that folks walked around with stones in their pocket looking at people to throw them at. Yeah, it didn't work that way. So let's go to Matthew. Or not. Who is that? I wanted to ask about King David. Did he kill or did he murder Uzziah? Uh, Uriah. You're talking about the the husband of Bathsheba. The answer is he did neither. The king has the right to send soldiers out to war. And 
the husband of Bathsheba died in battle. Now we can look at it and go, yeah, but David shouldn't get away with that. And the answer is David didn't get away with that. But it was not considered murder in the eyes of the Lord. But he repented for the guilt of bloodshed. Yes. In verse 14 of chapter 51 of Psalms. Yes, and that's different from murder. He caused the death. And he knew that he was guilty. And he repented of it. But he didn't take a sword and slay the man. He simply put him into battle in a place where he was likely to be killed. And in fact, he was killed. And that's different from the guys bribing the judges so they took the land in the All I can say is, let's let God judge David. Yeah. Would I endorse what David did? Absolutely not. But if God had called it murder, then David would have been put to death. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said of those to those of old, you shall not murder. That's right, it's in Exodus 20, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. That's right, the judgment is death. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Not of being put to death by the commandment of the court, but being judged on judgment day. Being angry with your brother without a cause is what tends to move people to murder. So the Lord is trying to say, you don't have to get all the way to the action of murder for what you do to be wrong. And that there is judgment to come for each and every one of us. To Matthew 19, 18. Matthew nineteen eighteen. I just want to remind us that Messiah himself said, Thou shalt not murder. On to Luke 18. Wait, yes, ma'am. God does not call it murder. We don't know a whole lot of the circumstances, except that, as is described in the scripture, he was trying to save another man's life. So if he was trying to save the life of an innocent man, even in our American jurisdiction, that's equivalent to self-defense, is called defense of another. And that's not considered murder, even under our law. So... The Bible just doesn't give us all those details. Did I hear Richard or who? Yes, sir. Um, I know you haven't gotten to it yet, but what about when it says, thou fool? Because, I mean, that says you'll be in danger of hellfire, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but and since... What's the meaning of that? Why could you call somebody a fool if you're in danger of hellfire? Because 
If you go back and look at the meaning of it all, the fool is one who says there is no God. So when you judge somebody and say you are not worthy of salvation and you have done the same, remember Paul's teaching about that in Romans, you condemn somebody but you do the same thing. You put yourself in danger of the very judgment you're trying to call on somebody else. Now that makes sense. Thank you. Yep, Luke eighteen twenty. Did we do Matthew nineteen? We did. Yes, we did. That was Messiah saying, "Thou shalt not murder." Yep. Anytime I see Messiah say something, I like to point it out. Luke eighteen twenty. It's the same thing as Matthew nineteen. Do not murder. And Messiah begins verse 20 with, you know the commandments. He doesn't say, you know the, what used to be commandments, but now has been done away with, does he? You know the commandments. Do not murder. That's really good advice. I agree. Romans 1. Just to point out that in Romans 1, murder is in that list of things that we put on the bad list. Don't do them. Romans 1, verses 28 and 29. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. What's it mean when they forget God according to Deuteronomy 8.11? It means that they have failed to keep the commandments. God gave them over to a debased mind. What's a debased mind? A mind that thinks correctly or wrong. To do those things which are not fitting, which means they're not right, they're not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder. So murder. Even Paul puts it on the list of things. Boy, if you're doing that, you're not on the way to heaven. You need to be hitting your knees in repentance. He goes on in Romans 13, verse 9. It looks a lot like what Messiah said, only when Paul says it in Romans 13, it's after the death, burial, and resurrection. And he refers to, in verse 9, the commandments, not the former commandments, not the ten suggestions. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder. goes on to say, and if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. People point out that verse to me and say, see, the commandments have been abolished, they've been replaced. They're not replaced with, they're summed up in this saying. If you love your neighbor, the word love in Hebrew is an action verb. If you love your neighbor, do you commit adultery with his wife? No. Do you murder him? No. Do you steal from him? No. Do you bear false witness? No. Do you covet? No. He says, and all the other commandments that are aimed at treating people correctly can all be summed up with to love, that is to treat your neighbor with kindness, 
compassion, and the kind of attitude that God commands us to have. Verse 10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Is that the same fulfillment as Matthew chapter 5? The answer is yes. So if you believe that in Matthew chapter 5, Messiah fulfilled all the commandments and they're all gone, why are we now talking many years later? about fulfilling the law. It's the word play Roma, which means keeping. It's the word play Roma, which means keeping. keeping, but it comes from plerosi, doesn't it? From plerao as a root. Hmm. Yes, the commandments are still very much in effect. Galatians 5. We didn't get to Galatians 5 last night. But we have till the Lord comes. Galatians 5.21. Let's start in 18 just so I can start an argument. Oh, wait a minute. I got a red number four out there. Let's see. Okay. All resolved. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Does that mean the law doesn't apply? That you can freely murder? The answer is no. It means if you're led by the Spirit, you're not trying to earn your salvation by the works of the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. What does evident mean? Very obvious. Which are adultery. That's kind of cute. The NIV omits adultery. They think that's okay. Just the way the NIV. Adultery, fornication. What's the difference between adultery and fornication? Fornication is sex outside of marriage, and adultery is sex with somebody who is married. Mm -hmm. Uncleanness. Uncleanness. Does that mean if we eat pigs and shrimp and lobsters and become unclean, that's a work of the flesh? The answer is yes. Lewdness. Idolatry. Sorcery. Hatred. Contentions. Jealousies. Outbursts of wrath. Selfish ambitions. Dissensions. Heresies. Envy. Murderers drunkenness, reveries, and the like, which means this is not an exhaustive list. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't say will be called least in the kingdom of God, does it? It says will not inherit the kingdom of God. So is murder still bad? Murder is still a sin. Yes, ma'am. Yes, it is hoopo. Mm -hmm. First Timothy one nine. Of course they do. How do they want you to see it? As something dealing with 
it's not uncleanness as in Leviticus 11. And what does Second Corinthians 6 say about that? Don't touch the unclean thing. A lot of theologians just try to redefine terms. One of the most famous, and, and one that always brings a chuckle to me, is they say that in the Old Testament, when God says these commandments are forever, you misunderstand the word forever. Forever doesn't mean forever, it means for a little while. How do we prove that? Because after Messiah was crucified, buried, and resurrected, they went away. Therefore, it couldn't have been permanent. Couldn't have been forever. Okay. Back to scripture. 1 Timothy 1.9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. That word made means laid down upon. But for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. He means that a righteous person, one who's walking uprightly before God, doesn't have to worry about the fact that the wages of sin is death. But for those who are committing these sins and offenses against God and man, watch out. Oh, another one. I'm, I know you guys have seen these all over the place. Many, many Bible prophecy teachers today Look at Matthew chapter 24, which says, Because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. And they bring up illustrations of people speeding through school zones and running stop signs and just failing to follow the laws of the road. Is that what unlawless conduct is? Is that what lawlessness is? No. Lawlessness is not keeping the commandments of God. So why do they want you to look at man's law instead Teaching the commandments of men. <laughs> because otherwise they have to admit that the commandments of God still apply it's redefining, the word law. it's redefining the word law so that their doctrine takes precedence over the Bible mm. I'm sorry I'm starting to get preachy James 2.11 James 2.11 does the Bible say a lot about murder and killing it sure does James 2.11 For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, that's verse 10, he's guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, then you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. All theologians do all kinds of dances on that. The law of liberty, though, is the Torah. It's also called, in verse 8, the royal law. 1 John 3, 4 through 12. You guys all know 1 John 3, 4. But we're going to look at it anyway. 
Because I like that first word. Are we there? Whoever. What's whoever? Anybody. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Why? Sin is lawlessness. That's its very definition. What if God had never said to Adam and Eve that they couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And they could. And then they ate from it. Would they have been kicked out of the garden? No. But once God gives a commandment and you break it, that's sin. Verse 5, and you know that he was manifested, that is, came in the flesh, to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Why? Because, because what? In him there is no sin. Because in him there is no sin. If you're walking in the ways of Messiah, who did no sin, and you live as he lived, you walk as he walked, you're not going to sin. It says, whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. And it means whoever walks in sin, they don't want to repent. They don't want to change their lives. It says they don't know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he that is Messiah is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Do you see why I have difficulty with theologians who get in the pulpits and preach the commandments have been done away with? God now wants you to live in sin. That repentance is a work, and therefore you need not repent? What does the scripture say? They're leading them not down the narrow road to eternal life, but down the broad road that leads to destruction. Verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. That is, you can't live a lifestyle of sin if you've been born of God. For a seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. How many different scriptures say this very same thing? How in Matthew chapter 7 did Messiah tell us to distinguish between a true teacher and a false teacher? Look at the fruits. If they are walking in righteousness, follow them. If they're walking in sin, don't. If you go on down to verse 12, that's going to be translation. Okay, all right. But let's do go to verse 15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This goes back to what Messiah taught. That the teaching by the scribes and Pharisees is that if you're in hiding with the baseball bat, 
and the person comes by, and as you're about to take a swing at him to kill him, you trip and fall down and he gets away, you're not guilty of anything. God says, oh yes, you are. That was the intent of your heart. Your desire was to murder. Intervening facts doesn't keep you from being guilty of the sin. And they would use the same excuse. I was going to commit adultery with my neighbor's wife, but he came home unexpectedly, so therefore I'm not guilty of anything. No. No. Revelation 9.21. Revelation 9.21. In Revelation chapter 9, where are we in the tribulation period? We're getting close to the midpoint, but we're still in the first half. It says in verse 21, And they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So they recognize that these judgments are coming from God upon the sins of mankind. And they would rather suffer God's wrath than to repent of their sins. The scripture tells us that's why so many people will not accept Yeshua as the Messiah. Because it means they would have to repent and stop sinning and they would rather sin. Revelation 21.8 Revelation 21.8 But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. You don't want to be a murderer. Last one on this commandment, Revelation 22.15. We'll start in 14 for context. Whoops, I got three red ones out there. Let's see. What is lewdness? Let me just say this. Have you ever read in People magazine or Us magazine interviews with porn stars who say, I am a Christian. The Bible is my favorite book. And what I do with my body is none of God's business. That's lewdness. Nakedness. It leads to immorality. Revelation 22, we'll start in 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments that, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, which refer to homosexual men. And sorcerers, that's pharmacia, drug abuse. And sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. So those people are not in the New Jerusalem. They are cast out. Now, back to Deuteronomy. We're up to the next commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18. You shall not commit adultery. 
adultery. Exodus 20, verse 14 would say the very same thing, so just make a note of that. Let's look at Leviticus 20, verse 10. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10 says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, that's what adultery is, having sexual relations with another man's wife. He who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That was the problem in John chapter 8. Who did they bring to Messiah for judgment? The woman, what about the man? If they were truly interested in justice, they would both have been there. But they were not interested in justice, just trying to trap Messiah. So adultery with another man's wife has the same judgment attached to it as murder. Would, uh, would you say that the attitude of those People in that event was probably that adultery was okay for the men, just not for the women, because the I mean we you have that same attitude in culture today. Boys will be boys. Yeah, but I don't think that was the attitude in culture back then, because the people that brought them forward were Torah scholars. But they had prostitutes, which meant they had men who wanted prostitutes. Prostitution was in the land. Prostitution is not permitted in the land of Israel by God. It's part of the commandments. Well, neither was a whole bunch of other things. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying they were there, and I'm, I'm questioning. I wonder if these men, probably in their own lives, might have been guilty of adultery. But, you know, for men, it's okay. I've heard preachers in this community. It's okay to commit adultery. It's not okay to divorce your wife. Well, what does the Bible say? Yeah, okay. Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. One of the people that brought the woman to was the one committing adultery with the woman, and it was just kind of a set-up trap. Well, the Bible tells us it was a set-up trap, that they were not interested in, in enforcing the commandments, only in trapping Messiah. But that's one way you can know, even if they didn't tell us. The woman was only a tool in her hands. Yeah, that's all. She was an awful Yep. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. What's wormwood? It's poison. Poison leads to death. So does the immoral woman. Sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. 
Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. So what does Solomon advise his children to do? Stay away from the immoral women. Stay away from his mother. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 6. I'm sorry, I'm not going to repeat it on the recording. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 29. It could also very much be about stay away from false religious systems because religious systems in the Bible are always pictured as women. As immoral women, even like Revelation 17. Yeah. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 20. My son, keep your father's command. It's actually commandments. And do not forsake the law of your mother. That word law there is Torah. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not, go, not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Again, Trying to say, stay home. Jeremiah 3, verse 9. What does it mean in 26? For because this, the translation I have is, for because of a whore, one is brought to a crust of bread. It means that she will end up destroying everything that you had. It will lead you to ruin. Jeremiah 3, 9. Yes, sir. And the reason why uh, they should be put to death is because when a, a husband and wife come together, they are one flesh. So it's like they're killing part of the flesh, and that's a part, they're killing part of that flesh, and that's why they both should die, because they're separating the two that were one. So you want me to explain why God decreed a death sentence? I'm, no, I'm sufficient. No, I, was saying, uh, I was thinking of it as, you know, God says that two should become one. Yeah. And so when when they take something that God has created uh, brought together as one, they it's essentially like killing them, killing part of that one. Essentially, but it's sufficient for me that God said the penalty is death. Yes, Jeremiah three nine. So it came to pass through her casual harlotry. The she being Israel, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Did Israel literally commit adultery with stones and trees? No, they committed idolatry. So why does, I, why does God consider idolatry equivalent to adultery? 
because we're supposed to be his bride and they keep chasing Baal which means husband so God likens it to adultery so that we can understand it if the wages of sin for adultery is death what is the wages of idolatry that's also death and look at verse 10 and yet for all this her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart but in pretense says the Lord Yeah, so Israel, the northern kingdom, went into captivity for this. And God would hope that Judah, the southern kingdom, would learn from it and stop committing the sin and repent. But what? They're just pretending to repent. How many times do we go to God and say, gee, I'm sorry, I repent for that, but I'm going to do it again real soon. That's not repentance. Jeremiah 7, 9. It's as Daniel said, God identifies religious systems as women. Jeremiah 7, 9. Mm-mm-mm. We'll start in 8 for context. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Those words they're talking about is that we can continue in our sin and God does not care. That's exactly what the false prophets were teaching in Jerusalem. Verse 9 says, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say we are delivered to do all these abominations. They were being taught by false prophets that God didn't care that they were committing these sins. Isn't that kind of prevalent to Protestant teaching and even Catholic teaching in America today? I think I may have said that a hundred times or two. Because <laughs> you're absolutely right. We don't consider sin anymore because sin's transgression of the law and there is no law. Right, right. And that's a bad teaching. What's one of the terms for Mary in the Catholic Church today? The Queen of Heaven. Do you see Queen of Heaven here in Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 18? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. Who was the queen of heaven? Talking about Ishtar. Ishtar. So this is not a name that started with Mary. Okay. Mary would not appreciate that. I'm sure she would not. Jeremiah 23, verse 14. Jeremiah 23, verse 14. Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. 
All of them are like Sodom to me and are inhabitants like Gomorrah. The Lord says, the people are not repenting because the prophets teach them they don't have to repent because the prophets are walking in the same sins. They don't want the people to repent because the prophets themselves don't want to turn back to God. Are these true prophets? No, these are false prophets. Look at verse 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts in times prophecy concerning the prophets, behold, I'll feed them with wormwood. So those false teachers that led the people astray, what happens to them come judgment day? Wormwood brings death. Jeremiah 29, verses 21 to 23. Almost makes it sound like, because like, it's an end time prophecy that is dual fulfillment, huh? Going through Yep, they would be going through the tribulation period too, because one of the judgments in Revelation is specifically called Wormwood. Makes the water bitter. What is wormwood in Russian? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Mm. Food for thought, huh? You're right, Daniel. Jeremiah 29, verses 21 to 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts. What kind of prophecy? In times. The God of Israel. But the Lord of hosts is Yeshua. Is Yeshua the God of Israel? Yes. Concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Maaseah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Are they good prophets? No. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall slay them before your eyes. And because of them, a curse shall be taken up by all the captivity of Judah, who are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire, because they have done deceitful, disgraceful things in Israel, have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed I know, and am a witness, says the Lord. So again, the prophets are prophesying falsely, because the prophets themselves are walking in sin, and do not want to repent. Again, think of Matthew chapter 7. How do you know a true prophet from a false or a true teacher from a false teacher? By their fruits, by their lives. Are they walking according to God's commandments or are they walking in sin? I probably shouldn't tell this story, but I'm going to. Back when I led the congregation in Montgomery, Alabama, one of the ladies in the congregation worked the desk at one of the local hotels. And she said, I can tell you almost all of the local pastors show up here with women that are not their wives. Women out of their congregations. Hosea chapter 4 verse 2. If a pastor is breaking God's commandments, how likely is he to get up in the pulpit and talk about the importance of keeping God's commandments? 
Hosea chapter 4, verse 2. Of course, we'll start in verse 1 for context to see why it's important. Hear the word of the Lord. Does that sound like a suggestion? Hmm. The words right before verse 1 are the end of days. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, that is, they're swearing false oaths. Killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away. No truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land means what's missing? Torah. Hosea chapter 4, verse 13. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops. Are those sacrifices to God? No. And burn incense on the hills. Under oaks, poplars, and terebinths, because their shade is good. Therefore your daughters commit harlotry and your brides commit adultery. He says it's because of the sinfulness and the lack of knowledge of God in the land that the daughters commit harlotry and the brides commit adultery. If they're taught that the commandments don't apply and that God does not want us to be righteous in his eyes, then what's the natural state of man? Is to wander off into sin. But what about the New Testament? Doesn't it say these things are okay? No, let's go to Matthew 5. Verses 27 and 28. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Messiah came to teach the commandments correctly. It says in verse 27, You have heard that it was said of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So what if you don't get to commit the actual act of adultery, but your heart's burning with desire to do it? Can you say you're innocent before God? The answer is no. Poor Jimmy Carter. Matthew chapter 19. He just had a birthday. Did he? He did. He must be 150 on that. <laughs> Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality commits adultery. Hmm. Romans 13, verse 9. 
When we take our marriage vows on the name of God to love, honor, and obey forever, and then we break them, what do we do to the name of God? Make it common. Romans 13, verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. That's the first one that comes out. Why do you think that one was listed first? Do you think it was more common back then than it should have been? I think so. If you're committing adultery with your neighbor's wife, you are not showing love to your neighbor. Galatians 5.19, I'm not putting that on tape. Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are, and what's the very first one he mentions? Adultery. Sex with another man's wife. And second after that is fornication which is sex outside a marriage with even a single woman. Does God allow us to just run around having sex with whoever we like? The answer is no. Revelation 2.22 All the way back at the end of the first century of the common era, or A.D., whichever you prefer to call it, they were already teaching that God's commandments had been abolished. And in Revelation chapter 2, we'll start in verse 20. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deed. We just read, why did the false prophets not call the people to repentance? Because they were walking in the same sins. Back to Deuteronomy. We still have a few minutes left to begin our next sin. Verse 19. You shall not steal. Let's go look at Leviticus 19, verse 11 for a minute. Leviticus 19, 11. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. What does it mean, deal falsely? How is that akin to stealing? Yes, it's exactly like the false weights. If I'm buying a bushel of grain for you, it's really heavy. 
But when I sell the bushel of wheat to her, I make it lots lighter. It's like what they were doing in the temple when they were exchanging the money. It's like what they were doing in the temple when they were exchanging money. For fair coins? No. Deceitfully. They're cheating people in commerce. Is that acceptable to God? It is not. You shall not steal. Let's go to Exodus 22, verse 1. Exodus 22, verse 1. Exodus 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, does a man get put to death? No, that's not the penalty for stealing. He shall restore five oxen for an ox. And four sheep for a sheep. Can he just restore what he stole? No. He's got to restore lots more on top of it. Boy. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 9. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 9. Is it okay to cheat on our taxes? No. Is that stealing? That's stealing. Proverbs 30, verse 9. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal. And profane the name of my God. To steal, it says, is to profane the name of God. To claim to be a follower of the true and living God. And to steal. Is to profane the name of God. I shouldn't say it, but I'm gonna. I don't know if you guys have listened to the news this morning or not, but the reports have just come out. All those billions of dollars of COVID incentives, about 90 to 100 billion of it was stolen by employees who were supposed to be overseeing the distribution. How will that play in God's eyes? Not good, not good. Jeremiah 7, 9. Why does God harp on these commandments in book after book after book? Does he think we're not going to follow them? Yeah, he knows there's going to come a day when people are going to say, you don't have to follow them. Jeremiah 7, 9. Here we are for the third time in the very same list. But notice it begins, will you steal? Will you steal? Matthew nineteen eighteen. Stealing. stealing is a lack of faith. Because you're saying God can't provide for me what I have just stolen. 
You're exactly right. It's a lack of faith. God will not provide for me, so I've got to steal to provide for myself. It's a lack of faith. It's a bad thing. He says, your punishment is you have to go to work and, and earn it. Yeah, true. So in Matthew chapter 19, verse 18, for the third time today, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Who said this? Messiah himself said, do not steal. Romans 13, 9. Why does God keep laying out whole lists of commandments? I was talking to a young man this week about 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And his response, well doesn't say which commandments I have to keep. Romans 13.9 Again, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. Ephesians 4.28 I'm sure you all remember that in Deuteronomy 6, verse 1, it refers to the entirety of the Torah as the commandment. Nowhere does God say, let's divide these into categories. <laughs> we'll call some moral commandments, and those are for everybody for all time. We'll call others ceremonial and civil commandments. And those we won't worry about. And God doesn't say that. But some God does not say, say that. But there are a lot of theologians who say that. You think people misunderstand too when he says that? Love the Lord with all your heart. And your neighbor is yourself. Yeah, and the categories, there's only the two, and all the commandments fall under those. Is it showing love to God or love to your fellow man? Every commandment God gives is for one of those two purposes, but it doesn't mean that they're replaced by those two categories. Yep, you're right. Ephesians 4.28. Let him who stole steal no longer. What do we call that? repentance but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need in other words stop looking only at yourself get a job work and see if you can't provide something to those in need The scripture says, he who will not work, will not eat. That's right. So the scripture says, be content with what you have. Work hard, and you will have what you need. 
Where is the commandment that says, believe in God and I will give you everything your heart desires? Yeah, it's in the book of Second Opinions. <laughs> yeah, it's not there. But our time has expired. So we will pick up next week, Lord willing, in verse 20. You shall not bear false witness. How many of you bet we'll see some of those same list of commandments yet again? You may as well go ahead and tab them. That's right. Well, let's close.